That's like the thing I'm struggling with too, is like trying to update the tire physics in a Soto Corsa. Like, have you seen my fit? Yeah, none of you guys do sim racing, do you? No, no. No, but it's something I need to talk to all my sim racing friends about and get get set up soon. Hi, Ross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the because uh, I I did I did that Sunday or like I modified an existing Honda Fit mod right to like try to give myself a better tool or a better tool to like learn tracks and stuff, especially from New Jersey. Like Octopus was a huge pain to learn. Um. The tire model is actually really difficult to work with. I'm trying to figure out what the heck to do about that because I'm like, I know I can make it more accurate to the point where four degrees of camber is actually fastest with the fit and that tire in a set of Corsa. It's such a pain to do, though. I can't figure it out. There's so many there's so many aspects that I just don't know about. It's crazy. I feel like tire physics IRL are still very complicated to understand. Yeah. Actually, did you see that? You Did, did you happen to watch? It's okay. You don't have to lie to me if you haven't watched it. But did you see that Optimum G video I posted to the Discord? not too incredibly long ago it was about a month ago i maybe yeah there, there was it so yeah opt- so opt- I don't, i'm gonna let you in on a secret ross because this happens to me all the time i don't think anyone ever actually watches the videos that people yeah, post no, in, I'm, in I'm videos aware. better than top no. gear us so, i watch most of them <laughs> <laughs> if so, it's just a no, yet another machining video i probably don't watch no, it. it's, not, it's not machining so oh, they're so good so for the, so for, for the people who are listening to the so for optimum g they do a lot of sim- motorsport simulation work. Um, they have a criminally low viewership count on their videos for how for what kind of work they really do. So they wrote they recently, like this year, they started doing videos that go over the physics of driving. Like some of the they go they go over it at like a college seminar level, right? So they they did a video recently on tires, um, and they talk about two things. They talk about adhesive grip and hysteretic grip. Uh, adhesive grip being like you know conventional grip like you think of how sticky the tires are that's how and how that's like a defining factor for how good the tires are like treadwear rating wise that sort of thing but there's also hysteretic grip you know like how well it conforms to the road um and like you know like the, the imperfection the, the body of the tire not Correct. just the grip the compound exactly like because there's the physics there's the physics of you like pointing you know pointing away from, or sorry like the tires try to scoot outwards and then it there's a force point in the opposite direction for hysteretic grip, but then there's also the adhesive grip of how well it sticks to a smooth surface. On this subject real quick, because I think I just learned this very recently and it's extremely applicable. I did not know that slip angle te- technically is not the angle the car is pointed relative to the direction it's moving. If you're using the term correctly, it is the direction the tire is pointed versus the wheel. That is what slip oh, I thought, angle. I thought refers it was to. like the the angle that you're steering at versus the angle that you're actually like gripping and traveling. Yeah. Uh, well, same, I guess that same, is same thing. It yeah. is, yeah, because it's the wheel, the front wheel, versus like the how the tire's twisting underneath of it. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so it's that actual difference between the tire, like the because of the flex of the tire, the direction the tire is pointed versus the direction the wheel itself is physically pointed. Okay. Yeah, and that's which why is all affected by this stuff by yep. adhesive and hysteretic grip. Yeah, and it's all, it's also part of the reason why like some people think that like toe actually modifies how much grip you really get because like because you, you're technically inducing some slip angle already like you're preloading the tire effectively so it's a little easier to load up on the tire and corners with toe which i only found out recently but i haven't played too much with that's what i want to do next year do you run like basically zero toe yeah i mean like i've been running zero toe this whole time because it's like well it's a low horsepower car you want maximum power output right but more recently i started putting in a little bit of positive toe like 0.05 degrees 0.03 toe out toe in in yeah um because that way when you turn so like turning into the corner it's like the tires already preloaded a little bit i so i only experimented with lime rock so far which granted i actually did negative toe at lime rock last year 
I think the negative toe actually makes the car too sensitive. Like the the fit actually makes it too sensitive. It for makes turning. it turn in like crazy. Yeah, and it's and when you're running like the stagger rear tires, like the six fifteens in the rear or something other thinner, like it 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 makes it reasonably difficult to control. Um, and I think the positive toe, like it actually helped make it easier to do turn in and manage the slide mid corner. But it's also hard to say because I did it with a square tire setup at Lime Rock for the first time since I bought the car. Like so you're changing multiple variables. Yeah, so it's hard to say. But like when I do like Lime Rock or Dominion or not Lime Rock, like some appointer Dominion, which is really what I want to do is I want to, you know, take the Bruce Lee approach of practicing one kick ten thousand times or one track ten thousand times. It's that's what I really, really want to focus on and try to play with like, you know, toe and like, you know, what optimal right or like you know whether i want to stagger to camber setup like make it make camber more biased to one side than the other which is what i should have done for lime rock maybe because it's all right turns right yeah aside from the one <laughs> aside from the, the literally the left hander um it's, it's stuff like that that i want to play with and like try to get a pyrometer that sort of thing but yeah like th- there's so much like from the physics standpoint or, or get uh infrared cameras for Exactly. Each and every wheel but, so, like you were showing yeah, us so, like, our sensor arrays yeah and race capture actually makes one of those like that that phone display i have like there's actually they make a thing called tire x now which you set up sensors and it, it lets you see the tire temperatures live um and i, I really really want to see that video he sent a video of this i've seen i've seen like live tire it's, temp stuff it's, it's mesmerizing to watch yeah and it's and you learn a lot from it too because like you get and that's the thing is like i really really want to play that's because I, I feel uncomfortable doing it during like a competition session like actually playing with it because at the end of the day you just like you're probably going to gain the most time by keeping your setup the same and just perfecting your technique right with your steering and throttle inputs and brakes but like you know during hpd it's like i can change whatever i want between sessions and it's i'm not going to feel bad about it um and i i feel like there's a lot to gain from learning more about the falcons and i i feel like i'll get more satisfaction out of it by giving that data out to others that are doing sunday cup and stuff rather than like oh i found all this out let me come back to sunday cup next year with my my brick of a honda fit the the, compared to the drag of like the ge and the gk but that's like that's beside the point (laughs) but yeah like if you get a chance to watch like that optimum g video about like tire physics and like how to do how how kinematics work in general on cars and like how how like engineers generally pick what kind of spring rates what kind of like motion ratios are used it it's kind of eye-opening it helps i think it's going to help me set up my car a lot better for the future especially in an open environment i think it's going to help you set up my car in the future too <laughs> that too yeah which is what i intend to do for the record whenever i figure it out you better bet this information is going public yes. I, have no, I have no benefit of holding it so yes so are i need a ross in my more in my life are you how i guess my my question you're you're changing up going forward what your plans are are you also planning on changing up your vehicle selection yeah, as bit. well a uh, vehicle selection a little bit so like Oh, actually, literally from the first point of the video. So, like, so far, all I've the only fun cars I've owned. Actually, I'll just go through all of them because it's only one extra car. First car ever was a Toyota Rav Four, two thousand three. Hell yeah! Bought it for one dollar. My dad bought it for one dollar for my stepmom. Uh, and one dollar, Bob. Yeah, it, it it worked great until R&D. we had it worked great until we tried to remove literally anything and it just wouldn't remove. Uh, just rusty. Yeah, it was from Massachusetts. Oh god. Yeah, it was, a, it was it was a daily driver Massachusetts bought brand new. Moved to the Virginia like 2015 or, nah. or 2010 or so. Yeah. So, and then after that, bought an NA6 Miata like 2015. Sold that because it was like in 2018, I think, or 2019, I think is when I sold it. And then I bought the Fit. Um, next car. I mean, we talked about it briefly. Mini Clubman looks really tempting because i know i know Vinnie cooper so number one they're from the most reliable car ever made to one of the less reliable i don't know the the mini minis don't seem that totally unreliable and more importantly they have a lot of track support 
That is true. So, and one of the things that I really want to try out more importantly than anything is a DSG or not DSG, like a dual clutch transmission DCT. Um, so I know like the Volkswagen GTI is also a thing which we talked about our own and reliabilities with with the motor, Corey. But yeah, the just stay away from the Germans. No, I don't know because I really want the That's mini. All looks, a mini is now. It's all I BMW. Know, I, know. I mean, so like the other cars that I was looking at, right? There's a TSX wagon, which granted only comes in normal automatic. It's a, rad. The, the literal slush box. But and then there's also the you know a GK Fit was also an option. Um, so we just do that. Well, I, well, except that okay. So, but I really want to. I kind of want to look at a more automatic car because I'm kind of like well, I want to have a car that fills the void or that's like at least somewhat different than my Fit, right? And it's like the GK is pretty much just it's just a faster motor. It's a bigger yeah. motor and it's direct injection. Well, so the other is thing too is bigger. No, the the it has better drag and it has a higher horsepower motor. And it has some like modern stuff, like oh, it's got a like rear view or like blind spot monitoring that sort of thing. Um, but like, I don't see a whole lot of reason to buy it. And also, they're still prone to uh, carbon buildup, which wouldn't be an issue if I'm on track because the intake valves get to high hell temperatures. But um, there's a Toyota Corolla, which was an option, but that still only comes with a CVT automatic, which was gonna destroy itself the second it sees even thinks about track time. What about the Hyundai stuff? That's what I was gonna ask. Like, how what? new are you looking? Are we really? Is Hyundai, are, are Korean brands decent now? Yes. I would take a Hyundai over a Mini. Yes, within oh, the last within the last eight to ten something. years, they have absolutely come around. They still have a lot of problems, and I wouldn't recommend most Hyundais to most people. But the N cars seem to be pretty stout. Yeah. Uh, do they come with dual clutch transmissions? Yes. Oh, really? Yes, all of them. Have Veloster N, Veloster Kona, and Kona Elantra N all have dual clutch options. Shoot, I have to look at that. Yeah, because yeah. because like the thing that was pr- the thing that was like appealing to about like the Mini Clubman is like well no. Like number one, the reliability does seem to be substantially better than it was in the early two thousand, at the very least. But the uh, but the other thing too is like you know it's it's like an extra ten cubic feet over the fit um, in terms of storage. It's obviously a longer wheelbase, but it's you know for an HPD car that would still be okay. Um, and you get a dual clutch transmission, so it's you could drive it around town. Plus the fact that you know you can bring it to the track and get direct response, and like it'd be good enough if like you know I didn't feel like dragging out my polyurethane bushing to fit or not bushing, but like polyurethane engine mounted fit all the way down to a track. It's like I could at least bring the mini and be like, okay, here, let me show you the line at least. Um, yeah, yeah, but like slush boxes, I feel like I would actually like if it was like a full slush box automatic, like in the TSX wagon, I feel like I would cry and I would just miss like a bunch of stuff, like throttle points, that sort of thing. DS like dual clutch stuff is is good. Yeah, like it, like if nothing else, like the DSGs and the DCTs and the Mini seem to be like really really good. It's just like the, my main issue, I think, is like the turbocharger and possibly some of the electronics. That's the thing I'm not looking forward to finding if I buy one of those. I'm still in the early research phases of like trying to think of what I'm going to buy next. Probably the thing I need to buy most, which is totally car related, is a house. We'll figure that out yeah, later. Yeah, that does help. Yeah, maybe <laughs> having a place to work on cars. Imagine. Yeah, yeah, the support structure also very important. Yeah. Uh, I gotta go, guys. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, you guys keep recording, but uh, I, I gotta run. Thanks That's for right. cooking, so, Corey. Yeah. Thank you. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about it, but Corey, we did uh, beer and brats and burgers and backfire today, and it was sure did incredible. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, love you, bud. It was good hanging out. See you guys later. See ya. See you, buddy. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Ross? Oh man, what would I like to talk about? Yeah. Oh. Talk to me about sim stuff. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, I'm like, maybe we should develop more on that because I, because I yeah. feel, because that's a huge port. So sim racing in general is like a huge portion of like how I even got started in racing to begin with. And I, and so like, I can't, because I'm part of the, you know, there's that generation like now sim racing became like really widely available, like for, force feedback wise, like, yeah, right after the pandemic or I mean before the pandemic even. I, I got started in like 20. 
2009, 2010, but like stuff like Gran Turismo, right? Yeah. So, um, like Gran Turismo is like one of the first like massively accept like accessible racing sims, and you can do it on a wide variety of platforms. And it's like, and I feel like the, cause, and obviously it's a super low risk environment. I did it for like seven years prior to actually getting on track, and it made such a with huge a difference. controller. Yeah. Well, okay, so I did it with a controller for like the first two years. Okay. Um, because a buddy of mine was super into that. Uh, right after high school, uh, like oh seven, oh eight, like in that range, and I just couldn't. I'd try, and I was like, "There's, I can't. I don't feel like I'm driving. I don't feel like I'm learning anything." I, I guess because it's like realistic physics, and all I had ever done before that was like arcade racing games, yep. which make it's a totally different like the amount of uh, turn in you get and input and whatever. Like when you suddenly have realistic physics where. You can't just send it at 100 miles an hour and then just turn left and, you know, yeah. uh, whatever, cruising USA this corner. <laughs> yeah. um, I just never translated for me. And I kind of wish I had gotten into it then. But So I guess my other question, too, because did you do a track day before you tried sim racing, like realistic? Uh, let me think about the timeline. I've only tried sims like four, four times. Yeah. Maybe. So... So and yeah, I think I'd, I'd definitely ridden along with cars at VIR well before I ever tried a sim. Right. And I'd done a lot of like street performance driving. And then honestly, I think I had done a track day or two in a real car before I did a sim. And my biggest problem with the sim is I never get a good sense of speed. Right. No matter what the setup. And I've done it when like sim seats is set up at VIR with their full motion rigs and force feedback and all that good stuff and i i'll drive a track that i know and i know it says i'm doing 103 miles an hour into the braking zone for turn one at vir but i feel the visuals tell me i'm doing like 60 right and so i break too late or i don't break hard enough or i just don't have that like physical feedback and i can't ever seem to like get around that and yeah. Not even that I'm trying to replicate it. Like, I just can't put my brain in a, a different mode. But I'm interested in it for exactly what you have used it for, which is prepping for tracks you've never been to. Right. Like, that seems like an in incredibly useful tool. For me, it seems like more the couple of times I haven't done a whole lot with full sim rigs, but the couple of times that I've dabbled, it always, it's not so much the sensation of speed for me, I don't think. It's more the lack of feedback from the pedals yes. like and I, I, that seems like either more of a hardware or a calibration setting issue yeah the feeling through the pedals and the wheel yeah, yeah especially the brakes Breaking, like i yeah, feel like, like I you're can't, just I can never pushing break. into something and guessing how much and listening for the tire squeal to if you're locking up yep. so yeah so there's a host of things now that actually make that much better um but almost none of which i use but a couple i do <laughs> so so number one is like so to go back in time a little bit, right, for, for people who might not have followed sim racing. So one is that force feedback wheels exist. The, uh, what's it called? So now you, f you get steering through the wheel, but that's been around since like, you know, the mid 2000s at least, right? Like I think the, what, there's like a Momo force feedback wheel that came out years ago. Um, however, so regarding, regarding pedal feel and stuff. So this is something that like when you're able to tune it out of your of your requirements for driving and i think it makes you a better driver this is something i kind of discovered to to DJ. you don't have to have that feedback right. to be successful right. right like imagine imagine like you know I, I know it's fiction but like when you watch like martial arts movies right like it's kind of, or shoot even star wars you know when they put the helmet on 
or like they blindfold and it's like the idea i know it's fiction well, with the blast shield down i can't see a thing yeah How right am I supposed to fight like it seems like a bad example because it's fiction but like it's the same idea like you're trying to fight or you're trying to do something without to eliminate too many stimuli and right. focus on what like then i guess the visual that's the, it yep so if it so for instance and this actually pays off when you're viewing footage as well actually because you start because all of a sudden that the the bottom of your windshield like that reference line on the bottom and being able to it's like because i i don't know if you how much of my youtube videos you watch but like the so like i have a couple that are like helmet cam and there's a and there's more than a several that are also like mounts on the passenger seat right so like when you're watching the footage like all of a sudden it's really obvious how the car is behaving like what not whether it's just tilting left or right or forward aft or whatever but also whether it's sliding exactly sure, how much angle like you got. if the front end is pointed in yeah. more than yeah okay. yeah so like visually you know what to look for and it makes it easier to review footage after the fact um but Fair. but yeah to but to back to your point like it you're effectively driving without one of your senses right like it's as if you were trying to i don't know trying to do martial arts with like without like your sense of touch or your sense of vision which is an extreme example obviously because you need your vision but like without your sense of vision or without being able to smell anything which is kind of moot but anyways um I feel like that's what sim racing kind of prepares you for a little bit better. And I'm, I'm a little bit biased too. So this is something else I'm trying to figure out for looking at a new perspective because there's two ways that you can go about sim racing, right? You can either get into sim racing before you get into actual driving or the other way around. There's not a whole lot of in-betweens. Um, so, and I'm finding that people that, and I started before I even had a real car to drive, right? Like I was just like 13 years old. There was no way I was, just, I could do like maybe karting at best. Um, so going off of that like there's a there's a huge huge benefit to sim racing in that you learn to drive without one of those senses which is your feeling of touch in your butt basically but there's still other ways to mitigate it like motion rig is one option which is kind of moot like it's expensive yeah it's, yeah, it's extremely I'm, expensive cost of space limiting yeah i know realistically i'm never going to go that that full force and so it's like how do i train because i think the way that i've always driven and the way that i taught myself I guess, like over time, performance driving, like pushing the car closer and closer to the limit and sometimes past it, you know, when I was a less capable driver and didn't know how to recover yeah. and uh, was by feel. Like all of it was like seat of the pants. What is the car doing? And, and it's why it makes me, you know, I almost never get nervous as a passenger on track because I feel like I have almost as good a sense from the passenger seat of what the car is doing, what the driver is doing, and like where we're going to track out to, and what, that I don't worry because I can feel it. From, right. But it, all of it is based on that feeling within my body, and when you take that away, like I'm detached yeah. from the whole experience. Right, because your pers- your point of view is literally different. So there's yeah. there's two ways you can get around it. I thought. It's so, actually really insightful, actually. Yeah, like, like, I, like you're literally trying to, you're, it's like trying to drive from like the passenger seat, of almost like what you were describing, right? Like it, but ultimately, um, there's kind of two things that have helped to mitigate that in recent years. So one is that virtual reality is a thing. So now you, because not, and that is something I'm really interested in. I, I want to try uh, someone who has a VR sim rig to yeah. see if that helps me with that like immersion. You could buy it. Are you have you visited sim seats before around here? I haven't. No. Yeah. So sim no. seats is around here. I haven't visited them personally, but they helped us up the Formula SAE sim rig um, after I had left. They 
they could probably help you figure that stuff out and like what you really want for a sim I've rig. Got, uh, John Corbin has a VR setup yep. with his sim rig. I think Charles Darty also does. Um, and he told me, come down and try his sim out anytime. So I've got like three or four friends yeah. now who are like, come try my setup and see if it's... Uh, the long and short is my brother built me a PC, which is like now incredibly capable right. gaming PC. And that now is like one less barrier to entry for me to now all i need is like peripherals yeah. he's even he's gonna give me a really big nice monitor too so like so, really all i need is the peripherals right like a wheel some pedals like a good maybe a shifter yeah stuff yeah like maybe that. a shifter yeah. and 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 then you know i can i could do Let's it build a stand out of wood for your seat That'd be yeah if, if i even need to I was gonna say like, like I'll, screw it to a desk i still play on a desk yeah yeah the, so the so it has, yeah and to go back to the like the hardware right like that's kind of one of the trickier things about vr like you obviously have depth perception because you have effectively two monitors and you're like right up against your eyes however the other thing you can do too that a lot of people don't get and i didn't even get it till like 10 years after i started doing this but like there, there's a field of view slider right in in games so if you're stuck on a monitor you're, te- you're supposed to set up your field of view so that way like it's as if you're looking through a window outside your windshield if that makes sense so like, so like for instance, if if your TV, so like the, that TV for instance is uh, what is that like seven seven or eight feet away? So like you're supposed to set your field of view as if like say you're looking through the windscreen. As if of your the car. windshield was seven feet away. From uh, almost or yes, kind of. Or like as if you were looking through your windshield seven feet away is like exactly what you see one to one, ideally. Okay. And there's a cal- and there's calculators for this online. There's things called FOV. If you look at Google FOV calculator, you would find them. Um, but yeah, they help you get that sense of speed a little bit better. It feels like you're going really slow at first, but it gets more intuitive later. Um, but, but I think some of it is just time. Yeah. Like I just need to spend some time doing it. Yeah. It's like the, the return on investment takes a while. And that's a, and, I've, and I feel like this is one of the things that I've kind of jaded on. I was like, because I was, I started getting into it when I was in middle school, high school and you know, who, who isn't made out of time in the middle school and high school. So it's like, oh yeah, I can do this all day. But like, you know, for people especially for people whose hobby is literally going as fast as they can, as fast as possible. It's, uh, it's, it's maybe not as welcoming and even like VR and stuff aside, right? So like from the visual aspect, that's one of the ways you can improve it. It's like virtual reality or setting a proper FOV on your monitor. Brake pedals, actually, some of them have like vibration motors and stuff in them too. And there's also load cell pedals. So, cause like you said, right, there's ones that are travel based and those have been around for all eternity. The amount of braking force you give is directly proportional to how much travel you get. It's basically just a spring behind it and you get more resistance the further you push. Correct. And it's it's completely linear, which is just not how cars work, right? right. Like even even my crappy fit that has a ton of brake travel, it's still not like that. There's a grabbing point. So load pedal so load cells are the same way. A lot of them actually have like real master cylinders in them too, like brake fluid and stuff too. And so it measures hydraulic pressure. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. And it, and it, so it literally measures the force the force and then you calibrate it to however you want. And then that force is is what gets sent to the computer to like as an input in order to provide breaking torque in game. Um, so that's one thing. And then like for ABS, some of them, some uh, pedals, I can't think of who like Huskenveld, I think has them. And I think Fnatic as well. They have uh they have a little motor that will trigger ABS in the pedal. So like when you start hitting ABS, you feel it or in the wheel, but yeah. Um, what are we talking for peripherals like that? Cost? Yeah. Oh, cr- honestly, I haven't <laughs> several like, thousand. Like more mid, than you could like, afford, pal. Anyway, <laughs> like mid-range stuff, I guess is like a good direct drive wheel and maybe some pedals that have like better than average feel. Couple, 
probably like, 1500 bucks yeah that, I, that, like... that would get you a pretty decent like okay. what, what would be considered mid-range now it's more than what most people need though like my current rig is like maybe a thousand dollars um if you could if you combine the h the h pattern shifter the the handbrake plus the my thrustmaster tspc and like some t3pa guy is a handbrake yeah I, on I, his sims because he uses you, it in, in his it? fit uh, oh, well, no. you used your handbrake while you're yeah for your what for why what? dude but, it, oh because because the, so the brakes are sensitive the brakes are sensitive in my fit the brake booster is garbage which is why I wanted to do a brake booster delete but did he you, not tell you this at New Jersey last year I he th- was like only using the handbrake through one of the turns I think uh, turn I missed four. this yeah, yeah turn four yeah so it the, just like full send and then like drag the handbrake yeah so the so if you so the idea right is like if you. If you're on the fit, and it's kind of hard to describe unless you drive the fit. Is this because it has rear drums that kind of works to its advantage? Actually, a little bit. So the idea is like, well, if you touch the brakes on the fit, it's, it, there's like an on-off switch. There's a ton of what feels like free play, but it's kind of just the rear brakes engaging. As a, but the way you could just skip that whole on-off switch thing and make sure it never, ever engages is to just, you know, pull the handbrake and the drums. Preload your rear brakes. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And it also it also gives you, it helps you scrub with just a little bit more speed than if you were to just lift. But you don't have to worry about accidentally giving too much brakes and having the car step out on you. If that makes sense. It lets you grace, it lets you graze the brakes a little stronger. It's just so, like, uh, my brain with a rear-wheel drive car and everything is like if I grab the handbrake, something is extremely the, the doom, wrong. The doom is upon you. <laughs> but, yeah, it's more. It's more just like I'm headed toward a building and I my <laughs> but pedal then it has still gone does to the floor. Yeah. So for the record, do not do this in your 50-50 weight distributed car. I'm doing this because the Fitz brakes are actually stupid, and like any car, like shoot, it, like like the Nissan Versas and like all these other economy cars, I've never felt a car that has a brake pedal as bad as my fit. And I, I don't really? know what it is. Yeah. I don't know if it's my master cylinder, the brake booster or what. Have you driven another fit and it's the same in that one? Similar. Yeah. The GD, the G, but not, no car. So other GDs have the same somewhat feel. They somewhat have the same feel, but I like, can't, I, I guess what I'm asking is it, is it your car or is it just like all of that generation 50, fit? 50, 50. So half Weird. of it. Half, so mine, mine has it worse than every other car, no matter how I breathe, bleed the brakes. Like I've done the, oh, the Honda recommended way, which is uh, actually closest to furthest. Um, and I've done the other recommended way, which is farthest to closest wheel. And both times it doesn't work. Um, like it doesn't really fix the feel. Um, and it's been like this for five years. It's not like there's a massive cylinder going out. It's just how it's always been. That's strange. Yeah. So anyways, the handbrake helps me get like that. <laughs> it helps me get everything that's between that on switch and the off switch. So, um, and yeah. you use that in the sim a little bit. Yeah. So it actually, I actually tuned the handbrake. It, so when I was trying to j- design the parameters for the, for the fit and make it feel more like my Sunday cup car, cause they tuned it after the spoon Honda fit, which has like a six speed transmission fit right, right. five, um, different coilovers and stuff. So when I fixed it to make it feel more like the Sunday Cup car and like have the same specs, I also changed the handbrake torque because <laughs> so I was like, you know, handbrake obviously doesn't give you that much torque. When I was playing with it in game, if you even touch the handbrake, the car just slides like right. into oblivion. Whereas in reality, I can pull on it as hard as I can, and the car's like, "What are you doing?" It's just um, gonna have the alarm beep at you. Yeah. So, so, anyways, yeah, that's why I have the. That's why I have a handbrake. That's um, wild. And, f- and for the record, I haven't actually one hundred percent confirmed it's faster. I just feel like it's a good middle ground. If you, especially on like really soft suspension, when your car is very susceptible to having a little bit too much pitch, it's like having the handbrake is nice because you can dial. It's not about dialing the amount of braking force and scrub as much as as much as it is dialing the amount of pitch that you want. Because sometimes just lifting off doesn't give you enough pitch, and braking gives you too much pitch. But if you use the handbrake and really dial it in with your hand, which is you know, which you have like some greater resolution with compared yeah, to your you foot. Yeah, you do. Like yeah, compared to the resolution that you get. 
you know, you can dial it just enough so that way you get a little bit more of your grip on softer springs. So like if you're do so like in my case, the the BCs that I was on were six K, five K rates, and I'm on twelve K, twelve K fortunes. So yeah. The so with the fortunes it's not as big of a deal. I was using a handbrake way less this year. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's less important. Sure. That's wild. Yeah. So yeah, not that I'd recommend buying a handbrake or anything for your sim rig. It's just like I, I feel like that's more for like people who who drifting. buy their sim rig for drifting. Yeah, yeah. which is which is also works really well for. So of course I learned entirely how to drift on. It's way more difficult than actual drifting. Um, but yeah, if you're like you know if you're a middle school or high school kid or whatever, you're trying to buy a you're trying to get into drifting like as soon as you graduate and have a real job or whatever. Um, yeah, sim sim racing is the way to do it in my mind. Yeah. As long as you have the time. It's a lot more mechanically forgiving, that's for sure. It's also a lot cheaper if you stuff it into a wall. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Yeah. Like, once you've paid the money for the sim rig, as long as you don't break the peripherals, you're send the car into the wall as much as you want until you learn. Yeah, and it's like, and even if you... I, I also do think, like, my daughter is 11 now. If I had a sim rig, she could sit down on that now. Or when she's 13 or 14. And by the time she gets to, like, driving an actual car, I think she'd be way more prepared, you know, right. for handling the inputs. And like, that was one of the hardest things when I learned how to drive. It was like, how do I touch the gas pedal gently enough that it doesn't, like, leap? Mm-hmm. You know, learning that uh, finesse with the controls is maybe the hardest part of, like, early learning how to drive. Yeah. And, and, like sims i could see really helping like by the time i mean if you started when you were in middle school like by the time you started driving did you feel like oh i basically know what i'm doing oh yeah shoot i mean in, in the first i mean my first hpd they promote i had four different instructors and the last one was like yeah you're going to solo it's fine <laughs> yeah. so i mean granted despite all this i want to stress that despite... i just mean like on the street too like when you got oh, yeah. your driver's like driving learner's in general. permit oh yeah like... no there's there's a fun story actually because i remember in a 2003 rap ford my first car i had my first job in college which was working at university of maryland there was a really slick interstate ramp that i was a little confident in taking and i turned the corner and i saved that car not once but twice <laughs> <laughs> the car snap oversteered i'm like i'm gonna die straight it out I'm like oh i'm good snapped out again i was like oh god <laughs> so anyways i was i was almost the one to total that that poor one dollar rap for um but it, it was good and but yeah like ultimately the other thing too is like even aside from driving physics right like how a car will behave you also learn how traffic behaves, like, but which, to be fair, is still like train drivers. It's not like that. It's not necessarily the tr- that Nissan Altima driver that's blasting past you on ninety five <laughs> and eighty miles an hour. Listen, the nothing, bumper flapping. Nothing can <laughs> can uh, prepare you for yeah. that. Yeah, but at the same time, like it makes you it makes you look out, right? Like it makes you look train you to look a few cars ahead, like not focus on like first like off ramp. Right? It doesn't make you focus on the off ramp. It makes you focus on, like, hey, is there might there be a deer ahead or something yeah. unexpected? Yeah, I was telling Corey today actually. I um what is it it's sunday so friday my daughter had the day off from school and um she came to work with me i had a short day and then we got off and it was super nice outside and so i was like hey let's put our bikes in the matrix and go to belle isle and go for a ride and um we i just bought her a new bike which is a little bit bigger than her last one because she outgrew it and so now i have to drop both of the back seats in the matrix which means she sits up front with me and usually she only sits up front in the Miata. And so she doesn't get that much time like sitting up front and really looking out the windshield and seeing what's going on. And she started to like ask me questions about like what was developing in front of us. And it was kind of cool because I had this opportunity to say like, okay, this is what 
defensive driving means. This is what I'm looking at when I look out the windshield. At and the you road start to articulate of like, all of the different processes that are going through that your are brain at all happening. times, yeah, which, which is, is a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. is why you should not text and drive. No. Like, there's so much you really should be paying attention to. I sound like a dad now because I am. Um, but yeah, it was kind of cool to like see her curiosity in that and be like, aha, see, okay, so start looking at like. You know, because something happened in front of us, and I, like, just backed off and let it all take place. And then I explained, like, okay, I saw them starting to come toward that car, which meant that if I was going to be out of the way, I needed to back off, and, you know, my out is to the right. And I could see that, you know, again, like you say, in in sim driving and sim racing, like, the awareness of what's going on around you, what you need to plan for. Right. Right. Yeah, especially if you'd like be useful. Yeah, especially if you do like a racing sim, like uh, if you've ever played iRacing or anybody who has played iRacing, even though it's like super expensive, they have a really nice safety system. And by really nice, I mean it's really, really strict. So like you, t- it's like imagine like GLTC, where like yeah, you it's a, it's a zero contact wheel to wheel race, right? Um, iRacing is like it's pretty similar. It's like if you if you even graze another car, even if it's something as slow as like a global MX five car. If you even graze the car doing a bump draft or something, it's like, oh, there's a one X at least. <laughs> and you can and you lost seventeen before you DQ'd. So like all of a sudden it makes you like you it, need to turn that off if you're prepping for GMX five because all those guys uh, do is Yeah. I I'm aware. Down. I am well aware. Shoot, even Sunday Cup is that way and it's not even wheel to wheel. Actually, it was the whole reason the the last um the uh, GMX5 race ended the way that it did because uh, Gresham Wagner and Connor Zilich both got punted off going into uh, roller coaster. Right. On the very I saw last that. Lap. That was what such a, a wild series of events. It's such a shame because if you watch the whole race, Gresham Wagner like worked his way to the front and then absolutely controlled the race and Connor Zilich ran second place like to a T like waiting for his move if it was going to come like those guys were running a perfect race and they just went down in, into the braking zone for roller coaster and like six cars back a car bumped into one and i think it's it just like be- a shock wave went through the whole and, group. and it was because of where it happened i think like the two cars at the back were both still on the brakes so it wasn't that much of a bump, but the two cars in front of them were just starting to come off the brakes. And so when it hit them, they rocketed forward and it punted the whole line into Zillage. And I uh, just, sorry, that's yeah. an aside, but like it was such a shame to watch that uh, totally get spoiled because yeah. Wagner and Zillage both deserve to run one two in that race and, and wound up way back. Yeah, it was, it was. But contact is part of the game in in a lot of those race series, especially single make race series. Like that's Spec Miata is that Spec way. Miata GMX5 is, is just that way. Carnage. GR yeah. Cup is is getting a yeah. little that way. Right, and it's like, and ultimately, yeah, and I racing. You kind of have to get away from it too, because there's netcode to take into account. Like, oh yeah, you know, a bump in eye racing might not equate to like you know the mecha- the the metal give that you would normally get by touching body panels or whatever. Sure. Yeah, and it's like, and the other there's thing- more force transfer. You think? But less, from, less, less, tra- less force transfer in actual racing compared to sim racing. Right, right, right because right, right. the body panels. He was saying there's, there's no there's deflection more in, in the geometry. The in, in right. The sim. Yeah, yeah. In the sim, it's, it's just two solid bodies touching each other. It's just how it goes. Um, it's like pool balls. Exactly. Yeah. For like one to one, and and it kind of depends on how the game wants to interpret it at the time. But yeah, like I, I racing, especially like 
and looking for that contact, like that that thing, that the accordion effect that happens, that happens all the freaking time in sim racing, and people just have no. It's obviously it's different when you you're you have tens of thousands of dollars on the line in the form of a global MX five car, right? On the cheap end, um, it's like I racing. You don't, you know, there's not really a whole lot of monetary value in that, even though it's an expensive sim racing, uh, excess. It's just how it is. Um, but, but there's yeah. no like, there, you're bumping cars in on in virtual is not gonna bankrupt you like it would in real life. Yeah, and, do, and you don't have to focus on repairing it after the race either. So it's it's all of a sudden like it makes you it helps you drive in your rearview mirrors a lot better. It's like one of the other things that I think I've learned a lot from sim racing. You don't even if you have a ton of sim racing experience, you're not probably gonna you're probably not gonna find yourself looking in the mirrors like instinctively. Um, however. And once you get, it makes you get into the habit and know what to look for in a car, like, and how to, how to narrow your peripheral vision just so it's like, just so you have enough focus for that mirror. But yeah, huge, huge benefit. Yeah. I need to, I need to do it. What would you recommend between like Assetto and iRacing? If, you, uh, if I were the, just going to get one. Assetto, of course. Assetto is definitely the best to start out with. Okay. Um, like, unless there's, like, Assetto is the best to start out with if you have someone who could at least help you out with mods, which I definitely can. Um, yeah, but cause Assetto gives you, has an extremely good tire model. It, it used to, I would argue that it had a better tire model than iRacing for the longest time. And I don't think that's true anymore. Like it, that's only in the, like, the past couple of years. iRacing's tire model was awful for a while in my mm. mind. Um, and, but Assetto is, is really, really good. It, it simulates going over the limit a little bit just right, which is how you experience like really fast driving in real life as well. So that's why I'm a huge fan of it. And also because the Sunday Cup mod is in that as well. So I'm a little biased. Um, but yeah, there, there's a number of different sims. Like there's all, even stuff like Forza Motorsport and Project Cars Two and Gran Turismo are also really good starting points. The tire model is obviously not as not as accurate as as conventional sim racing, but the more important thing is that it keeps you engaged and it's more accessible. It's, exactly. it's very accessible to yeah, because that, that's something that I think people downplay a lot in sim racing is like the accessibility of a title. Because ultimately, it's like if you can have a go to in the form of Forza, a Gran Turismo, or Project Cars Two, or whatever, that's like. It's just a complete package right then and there. Even if it's limited and it's not 100% accurate, you still get the motions down of like, you know, trail braking, smooth throttle application, smooth steering, and like basic car setup. I drive a Miata. I already know all those things. Right. <laughs> well, you see, you think you do. And then yeah, you start sure. getting, and then you start getting into sim racing where you're picking people not, because like even in real racing and one makes, right? There's still the possibility that someone's car is physically better than yours, right? Not a, that's not even possible in sim racing, which I think is part of the draw. That's true. Yeah, the electronically and programmed programming wise, exact same car. There's sure. no if it's a fixed setup race and i racing. There's zero reason why someone should outrun you outside of skill, um, because not, not even sim racing hardware makes a difference. I remember uh, who's it? The Gran Turismo music, movie. Uh, Yan Yan. I can't remember his last name, but he he drove on a G, he drove back in 2013. He drove on a G27, which at the time was like you could get that wheel for like maybe a hundred, hundred fifty bucks. So it was a pretty entry level yep. hardware set. Oh no, it, was, it couldn't have been a G twenty seven because that wasn't compatible with PlayStation. But like it, it was something. It was a, it was like an entry level Logitech wheel. And yeah, he went all the way and for and for a long time too. Like the second highest i rating i racer in like twenty fifteen or so, he was still on a G twenty seven, like a hundred fifty dollar wheel back when Direct Drive was was officially compatible with i racing. So. You know, and and back to the point about like having a sim rig or a desk. Like I've I've always raced on a desk. It's if you have a wheel with a table clamp, it works perfectly fine. Yeah. Um. Like obviously, I know like DJ, um, who's a really big advocate for sim racing as well. He was a he's a really big advocate for having a rig because it helps 
it helps the immersion factor a little bit in his mind. It helps trigger his brain over to like making it not feel like a game. But um, I've never personally had that issue. But that's also how I've always driven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like for me, the biggest thing, I guess, I, you know, I, I want to set up that I can get comfortable with. And then I want a game that has most of the tracks that I'm interested in actually right. going That's to. the biggest drawback so, for Forza is that it's the of the tracks that you'll go to, it has like VIR and Mid-Ohio and that's about yeah. it. And see, and see what I want is e- I, probably either Assetto or iRacing. Cause right. This has Road Atlanta too. Yeah, it does have Road Atlanta. Because yeah. I want to do like AMP and CMP and Pit Race yeah, and Mid-Ohio and New York Safety Track. And like, yep. you know, like... That's a setto then, hundred percent. Okay. Like it's it's a little bit of a learning curve going straight to it, but like even still, it's like while you're learning, if you well, everything's gonna be a learning curve, yeah. so I may as well like it's fine, right? Whatever it is, I'll get used to probably. Yeah, and like and and there's a ton of resources available for like how to set up mods and a setto and stuff. It's not like it requires rocket science; it's just more involved in like board of the motorsport and stuff, which doesn't even have. I think even Dominion's in a setto Corsa. I haven't seen it yet. Um, or I is think, that iRacing? Isn't it like user modeled? One of them. I might I have to go and look again. Last time I looked for Dominion, which was like two or three years ago, I wasn't able it's to find something. anything. So yeah, it's somebody in added something. it within the last couple of years, I think, because oh, somebody sure. was okay. talking about it. How like Yoshi... some of the details are not quite there, but right. the like the elevation uh, isn't quite uh, realistically accurate. Right. But everything else is like pretty. I pretty think well Yoshi traced. Jeffries was a was a big. Like he helped model. I can't remember if it was Summit Maine, Jefferson, or Shenandoah, but he did basically a lot of modeling work for that in one of the sim uh, games. I can't yeah. remember what it was. For yeah, that a, mod. a set of course it has a pretty good um, Summit Point mod. Um, even though it doesn't look like it, it it has one. It, it's accurate enough. When I compared it side by side to the footage, it made sense. But looking at the landmarks and stuff, like wow, this doesn't feel like the track at all. And then I did a side by side footage, I'm like oh, it's actually like mm. almost one to one. I was surprised. Um. But yeah, like there's tracks like that, like Pit Race. Um, I learned entirely through Assetto Corsa. Pit Race, NJMP, Watkins Glen. Um, well, Watkins Glen was also iRacing. Uh, That's Summit, in Forza too. Yeah, Summit Summit Point was uh was primarily in iRacing because that's like one of the starter races. Um, she what were some other weird tracks like Gingerman. Gingerman is Gingerman. I think is like actually difficult to learn if you don't practice in the sim. There's some really bizarre apexes and like timings because because like we were talking about the constant radius corners before uh judgment has a ton of those and it's really difficult to time if you don't practice in the sim first i think but um but yeah that's an r factor two at least and kyle hires working on a uh on a copy for a setto but yeah there, there's, a, there's a whole host of tracks especially when you're trying to look for tracks that have um that have particularly dangerous corners and like unique corners like octopus at ngmp or carousel at road america or uh, what's another one that, that like really that really got me messed up? It was uh, I mean shoot, uh, turn ten at AMP where I crashed. Like there's there's ones like that, right? Like even going through that corner to settle, I'm like there's a high chance I crash here. Like that that's one of the high risk corners that you know I was talking about early on in this year, in in this podcast was like, you know, you see the wall, how close it is to barrier, and you see the kind of speed you're carrying. It's like that's that's a risk item, you know. So um, it is a set of course that has dominion. Interesting, huh? Uh, people were posting videos on YouTube in November of 2022. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's, that's recent then. I have to give it a shot then. Um, but yeah, it, it helps to play. Like, it helps give you an idea of what kind of setups you should look, look at. Looking at too, even if you don't have a one-to-one model of your car, 
if you have something that's close, like compared to an FX sixteen, I mean, shoot the Sunday Cup mod, I actually be close enough. Yeah, but like you know, fours are the closest thing is like a like a EF Civic. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, that too. Um, no, that that has. Double I figure I could always I start with GMX five and then. Yeah, I was gonna say just and, assume that my car will be a little slower. Yeah, I mean, so of course it has a. They have their own model of the ND Miata that's perfectly stock. So yeah. Well, mine is not perfect. Yeah, yeah but you well, can go from there. Yeah, I mean, when you remove the fear factor from the stock, from the stock ND, you'll probably be faster. In the I just figure point. if I learn on a global MX-5 car in a sim, and then get in my car, everything should be like easier and slower. You right. know what I mean? It's like yeah. this minus fifteen percent yeah. or twenty percent. Yeah, it just gets scary when like there's corners yeah. like Summit Point, right? Like in in I racing, like Summit Point, turn four, um, or yeah, turn four to the the, the right hander. Yeah, the shoot. Yeah, the shoot. Yes, exactly that that corner. Um. When so like in iRacing, you could take it flat out in the ND, um, because you're on, fast, yeah, because you're because you're on slicks, right? You could take that flat out reasonably comfortably. Um, I would not recommend it on 200 tread wear in an ND. Oh, no. <laughs> no. So that's kind of the part. That's kind of the point where it gets a little scarier is because of the fact that, um, you know, you might try taking a quarter flat out. That, yeah. I mean, not obviously you have the foresight to do it. Like as long as the back of your mind, you know where the deviations exist. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, but like you know for anybody that's like fresh starting out and doesn't realize those deviations it can get it can get kind of dangerous if you if your brain falls asleep for like a split second i always assume at least for me that there's going to be a a disconnect between like sim driving and real driving right like that is it which is fair like However, i'll just always assume that i can commit better in sim racing because there's zero consequence than, right than real life and i'm always going to dial it but but I don't know, because it's interesting, you have actually worked to build a mod that is as close to your actual car as possible, and then use the techniques you develop in the sim to translate into, okay, I know that I can go flat out through this corner in a sim, I actually trust that I can go flat out through this corner in real life, yeah. which is very different. Yeah, and that's the thing, it's like... and. And and like you said in your mind, you know, you keep the deviation in your back of your mind, like what that possible difference might be. And especially going to like so many different tracks for grid life and stuff, like all of a sudden it becomes like extremely obvious, like exactly what corners are not going to match up. And like also where things like tire marbles and stuff. like I was going to say track conditions, right? Like track conditions are always subject to change and you're always going to have to modify your driving slightly to, you know. Right. If Saturday was cool and overcast and Sunday is like bright and sunny and 10 degrees hotter outside, like the track is absolutely going to behave differently. Yeah. But it's like, but there's some tracks like Mid Ohio, right? Like Mid Ohio, I think, was the first track that I did like a one to one and was like, all right, I'm going to try to hit B speeds at these corners. And, and, um, and I was able to point out like certain corners. Like I think, uh, Thunder, Thunder Valley, Thunder Valley was a big one where I was losing time. Uh, not this year. Or I mean, I'm losing it. I'm doing bad, bad mid Ohio recently, but like, beside the point, like Thunder Hill was like the or Thunder Valley was like the biggest corner. Like, I, I think in a sim, I saw like a 63 mile an hour apex speed, and then my actual speed I found out was like 58 or 59 when I was looking at my GPS uh, GPS lap time, lap speed, and I was like, uh, that's where it needs to get fixed, and that's where I end up scrubbing some time. It's because I knew, especially and actually back to your point about uphill corners. It's an uphill corner. You can commit. You can go in a little. Your entry speed could be higher because your apex. You're scrubbing so much speed up until the apex. So, um, so it's stuff like that. Like it, it helps helps objectively point out exactly where you're not not necessarily not committing enough, but where you should actually more confidently be carrying in more speed. Um, and and reviewing the footage and stuff becomes more obvious. Yeah, 
And I think for me, like, I get into muscle memory patterns that I wind up applying to uh, every type of corner, right? Like, I'm going to need to break in this certain way and downshift here and turn in here and press the throttle here but I do it the same in a downhill corner that's roughly the same radius and entry speed as I do in an uphill corner that's roughly the same radius and entry speed. But what I'm not factoring in is that the uphill versus the downhill makes a drastic difference right? in like how and when those things should happen. And again, like I'm a year and a half into driving on track, right? So I don't, I'm, I'm not five years in like you are. Right. I, I haven't developed my... But I'm starting to notice that those are the areas and, and, and taking it back to sim racing and stuff like it. Kind of being aware of that, I think if I did sim driving, I could focus on those types of things. Yeah. Right? Like I could drive a track like Road Atlanta that I know now fairly well and focus on those things in a sim and run it again and again and again until yeah. I start to really like notice that difference and pick up those speeds in those places. And then when I go back to that track, I'm going to be a lot more prepared to to put those things into practice. Right. Yeah. And the bigger thing too is the, uh, oh, what's it called? Is again going going back to like the electronic copy, right? Like everybody's driving electronically the same exact car. So like, all, especially for like i racing, you go back and you look, and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's driving the same exact setup in the same exact car. Here's where he's gaining time on me. And as opposed to like a YouTube video where you where like, you know, there's a varying amount of like information people will give you about their mods and their driving experience and stuff. It's like, and, should he be faster than me? And, and track conditions, right? Like, right, unless exactly, you're literally yeah. there on the same day, if you know, even with the Garmin Catalyst, like it's cool what you can do with that to compare a past session of yours to a past session of somebody else's, but that doesn't take into account the track conditions right? on those different days, those different weekends. So, I, you know, I compared some of my sessions at Dominion to when Matt Greenland ran his best times in his ND like six months before. Right. Well, who knows what the track was like, you know, on those two different weekends. It's still general trends are what I'm looking for. Like his differences in mid-corner speed versus mine, right? Yeah. Like how heavily he's braking into certain stuff. Um, I think it's still applicable, but it, but that's an, a really interesting point about Sims. That like, yeah. you know for a fact that you can set electronically the car condition that, you know, the vehicle's capability and the track conditions identically. Yep. And, it, and then it, really compare those things one to one. Yep. Yeah. No. No differences between tire construction either. Like sometimes tires get bad. Ti- sometimes tires get bad manufacturing runs. Um. And it's like and then and going back to Sunday Cup, like that's the advantage of that class too. Is like everybody's like obviously there's still differences between the cars, but you know I know for a fact that I should be able to break at the same point as like Matt Williams, who's ahead of me. It's like if he breaks at two, I should be able to break at the two. And if I'm not, then I'm doing something inherently wrong. And that's and that's why I like sim racing and Sunday Cup a lot for like driver development is because now you know exactly what to look for and like you know if you go to a faster car all of a sudden you know exactly where like there's certain things that will immediately subconsciously ping, pinpoint in your head and you'll see like that's where I'm losing speed like I'm not my turning isn't correct my braking isn't correct I'm not I'm not hearing the ABS lock up I'm not hearing the front tires squeal in this corner like I did in my fit or whatever so I know I'm not doing it right it's stuff along those lines so. Yeah, that, that's why I like sim racing and like one make racing in general um, for driver development in particular. And I think it needs to be taken into account by more people, I feel like, because yeah, it's not that, nearly popular that enough That comparison here. element and removing all the variables 
I can see how that would be a massive, massive help. Yeah. That's why it's the stuff that's fun for me to watch, too. Right. That's why Global MX5 Cup is more fun for me to watch than almost anything else in IMSA. Yep. Or, uh, you know, GR Cup. Or I was, just... I say, like, even watch, like, Formula 2 versus Formula 1. Like, it's crazy how tight the racing will be for Formula 2. And people always chalk it up to being like, oh, it's because they're trying to fight for that Formula 1 spot. It's like, no, they're, they're literally just driving the same exact car. Like, it's a spec chassis from Delara and, you know, same engine and stuff. They can't make any modifications. Whereas all of a sudden you jump to Formula 1 and it's more of an engineering competition than driving. Which is fine. Because, like, some people really genuinely like that that building aspect, but it's something to take into account when you're trying to decide what kind of class you really want to drive in. Like, how much of a builder versus driver competition do you want it to be? Um, is, is so you're telling me that the reason Verstappen has just won 10, 10, 11 I, in a row? A lot of. Uh, is whatever he won, sorry, Max, if you're listening, is because <laughs> Red Bull is a better team than... Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's yeah the engineering the engineering aspect, no, right? No, for yeah. sure. I so, mean, it is you watch it happen in stuff like Formula One, where it's like, oh, Mercedes when Hamilton was just winning over and over and over, like they're just on their the top of their game. Yeah, and and actually, like you know, people immediately jump in and say, like, yeah, it's Lewis Hamilton. Like Lewis Hamilton is the driver that's doing it, but for sure. But like everyone they also in had the, Formula by One, by far the best engine out sure. of all. Right, of them. everyone in Formula One is a peak driver in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Like the the difference between those drivers is so minimal. Right. Like, yeah, you're right. Like it's like it's that say, you have different manufacturers like engineering. Yeah, you know, the like, tiniest differences that make a huge difference. So, like, if you get like, were to drag Logan Sargent back to the U.S. and like throw him in like any car in any series, like in the U.S., like there's a pretty good chance that he's gonna like finish at least within the podium of like any given series, right? Despite never touching that car in his life, possibly. It's like that that guy that won the NASCAR Chicago race. He was like his first NASCAR oh, yeah, race. Well, okay. Shane Van Gisbergen. Yeah, he was a, a, yeah. a V8, V8 supercars, supercars driver yep. from Australia. Yeah, so. And that's, and that's kind of what, sep what separates it out, you know, how well you're able to, to go to that certain th those certain lengths. But, like, ultimately, like, like, going back to the driver skill, right? Like, all of them are top-level drivers. It's just that, like, yeah, some teams pick them up, and some teams have better engineers. They have a better workflow for building their cars. And it's fine to have a competition like that. Like, obviously, Formula One is the biggest motorsport on the planet. However, like, if you're going into it trying to find, like, who the best driver is, you, in the back of your mind, you should know, like, you know, each of them has different team support you know sure. like especially teammates and that's why the battle between teammates is always relevant because theoretically they're always on the same car theoretically theoretically yeah like but who knows how many test parts Paris has versus Verstappen or whatever you know but ideally yeah, that, that was definitely an issue I, I remember when I was still following Formula One really closely that was during the Vettel Weber at Red Bull era and it was very clear that Vettel's car had all the good shit on it right but at the same time it's like there's a risk factor too right and it's the same thing, like, in any competition. Like, even if you go to grassroots motorsports, like, do I really want to put this, like, for instance, camber shims on fits? Um, like, I have these camber shims for the back of my car, and I was, like, really debating putting them on, but I'm like, I haven't really had any handling issues. Theoretically, this would just help with tire wear, and there's a chance that it actually makes the handling worse. Like, it actually makes the car too understeery, even with 615s in the rear, because I'm adding more camber in the back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like, there's stuff like that, where it's like, do I really... Like, even at, like, a Formula 1 level, it's like, is this objectively going to make the car better, or is there a chance it makes it worse? And, I mean, there's more quality insurance when you do an F1 team. You have your own quality checks and stuff. Sure. But, yeah. There's, but there's always a chance, right, or that it, like, destroys your car or whatever. Like, oh, I put a bigger turbo on. There goes that. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. That's your engineering background now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have such a hard time looking at the car that way just because it, it takes so much more like attention and brain power for me to like 
think through the engineering aspects of yeah. you know little changes and what they'll do and what I should do and whatever and like at least for right now it's mostly like make the car reliable and make it handle predictably and like maybe take some input as to what is like a good thing for this chassis and this you know setup but beyond that I I just want the car to behave the same way so that i can spend seat time and right. develop myself as a driver yeah which is fair it's just like it's nice to have like that objective evidence that like your car is going to be better yeah and it, it's and that's why like and going back to the optimum g stuff like that's why the optimum g videos in particular like help to solidify that because like from a theoretical standpoint like yes my damper should be set to this setting but why might i go one step lower one step higher you know and it, there's a lot of whys that are answered when it comes to the engineering aspect. And there's all plenty of drivers like Matt Williams and Chris Rice, for instance, right? I know they drive entirely on fuel, and Jim Smith could probably be said that drive the exact same way. There's people who drive entirely on fuel. They make setup changes entirely on fuel. And then, but there's also like for when it comes to stuff like Camber, right? Like, like a driver like Matt, Matt Williams or Chris Rice or, uh, or Jim Smith, they might just change the Camber until they start feeling the grip fade away, right? But there's objective ways to measure it. Like, tire temperature is a right. big one yeah tire temperature is one and even if you're looking at it from like a one lap standpoint like theoretically the best point is like when you have like maybe a half degree of like actual camber in the corner on your outside tire it's like you can set up a camera and see like hey is that about half of a degree that i have of like hysteretic or like a dynamic camber in this corner you know do and then you can measure with the pyrometer afterwards like is the temperature spread even like is it about 10 degrees from inner to middle to outer and stuff like that there's objective ways to do it and there's it is that kind of exists for everything. It's just a matter of how many sensors you want to put up and how well you're able to read the data. I just keep thinking if if I ever get into competitive driving, I hope I have a race engineer. Yeah, right. I just don't have the brain space. I mean, yeah. like I just don't. I wish I did, but I, I just I mean, don't have the brain space for all that. It's super the, cool the people who do both. Yeah, who and, really like can dig into the data as soon as they come off track and like put it all into practice, and then also go out and drive really hard. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of guys that that are pretty good at doing both, did you see that Ferris just won World Time Attack, World Time Attack in Australia? Yeah, I saw that. That uh, is wild. Yeah, it's stuff like that. It's, it's crazy because you heard how he got started, right? Like how he just brought his Corvette to like a super lap battle event, and he and because he won for the championship, he got a he got a turbo, and he eventually he asked Garrett for a second one. It was uh-huh. like, hey, I want to want to start building this car, and now his car is made out of carbon Kevlar. It has like three different wing Insane. elements you can put on. <laughs> but it's still like overall, it's not that crazy of a build. It's still at the at the core. It's still a Corvette chassis with a, a Corvette, Corvette transmission. It's got a sequential in it, but it's still like a Corvette transmission case like and it's making yeah, it's making 13 1400 horsepower, but it's not More than a Sunday Cup feel by the way. But it's not in the grand scheme of like race car things. It's not that crazy, but it's just solid. Yeah. It's like, and when it comes to like race setups and stuff too, like the other thing is like, it's a, it's a learning experience, right? And that's kind of the thing about competition that you might be more compelled to try out. And like, a comp- so it's one of the things I wanted to try on a Sunday cup is because I got tired of, like, it felt like it was kind of plateauing in HPDE. And I was like, uh, I'm struggling to figure out where the heck I'm supposed to actually go fast in this fit. And then I show up to literally one track day, 20, like my first competitive grid life event. And I see Matt's, you know, breaking a hundred feet later than me. I'm like, am I an idiot? Like, is that actually what it was? And sure enough, I go out and start breaking later. And I knock like two seconds off my Audubon time, which is like a two, like it's a minute 54, I think is like, what's the fast time at that point. And it's like, and, and you start learning it almost out of necessity because you want to win. It's like, it's your sure. motive. It's your motivator. Yeah. Whereas you don't necessarily have that motivator to try an HPD. You're just focusing on driver ability, which is what I want to do for this season. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, so 
to your point about race engineering, it's like ultimately there's, you know, there's things that you should focus on. And also people in the class will generally be willing to share that info to a certain point, as long as it's not something that they're aware that they're the only ones who know. Yeah. But like things like, I don't know, even like fuel, like I, I realized it wasn't commonplace in Sunday cup for people to know that you should run less fuel for time attack sessions. Yeah. So that's not common knowledge. Apparently not. The there's, there's more than a handful of people that didn't realize that. Um, because like, I mean, you know that, like, you know, a gallon of fluid is reasonably heavy, but it's like six, but even, six, six point six something, gallons. Yeah, yeah, pounds per or, gallon of, or sorry. of gasoline. Yeah, yeah, six point it's six point three pounds per gallon approximately, and it's like some people don't realize exactly how heavy that is, or not necessarily how heavy it is, but how much of a difference it makes. And it's dynamic too, because it's yep. moving around. Yep. But like, I made that mistake at NCM. Like, I I went out with a full tank of fuel because I was like half asleep at the pump, and I I put on auto. I was like, wait, how much fuel did I put in? <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, so it's it, that's a second a lap. It, it At was, least the fuel it, it was tank. actually two seconds a lap. Wow, because that's it was over with a two, full tank. It was like a two minute thirty lap time. Wow, yeah, with a full tank. So yeah, it it came out to nearly like two seconds. Um, At least the fuel tank in the fit is like nice and low down in the chassis. Yeah, it's also only ten and a half gallons. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, normally I run like two, two or three gallons of fuel, and that session I ran ten and a half. So. But but yeah, like it, it, you learn how big of a difference it makes. The things like twenty pound batteries when you swap them out for like anti gravities that are like two pounds it's it, they make a they make a real difference yeah no i i have noticed that actually if i um if i run the nd almost dry in a session and then i usually do just come off and completely fill it up especially if it's still saturday right and i'm gonna drive hpde all sunday like i don't want to because i'm not competing for lap time right. but yeah when you have that drastic difference between an almost empty tank and the next session you go out and it's completely full like the car is different. Yeah. yeah. Oftentimes, I find in my car, it feels better. Just heavier. The, where the weight's located. Yeah, maybe. Or yeah. just, I don't know. It's, like, the, the weight bias might feel better. It's a like little it? slower to, to transition. It's, it's less, like, twitchy or snappy about how it moves. Yeah. Like, I know... Because J- you're moving more weight around. I don't know. Right, yeah. And I know, like, Jake Abbott, like, it's, it fits in general. Like, Kevin had said the same thing about his fit. When they put ballast in the back of their car to make up for the extra power... The handling just like improved dramatically because of the rear weight. I mean, you know about the rear weight bias, um, how that affects front wheel drive cars, like the over the oversteer that you would feel in, like an FX16 or GK5 or or GD fit. Um, it helps a lot. Um, even adding you, weight to the rear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like in the grand scheme of things, it's going to be slower if you don't have the power to make up for that power to weight difference. But like having a higher horsepower car with that rear weight bias, but makes a difference um so like the handling will feel better better even if the car all around is slower yeah i used to my it's interesting my when i first had the car the battery was located in like the far back corner of the car and i moved it a couple of years ago now it's like on the floor behind the passenger seat so it's more centrally located and i in my head it makes sense that it would be less likely to like snap out because there's less inertia back there to b- swing around but maybe that's not necessarily the case. Right, yeah, because it, it's more like, yeah, when you put more of your weight bias, it makes the car more oversteery for from, well, for all cars, but front-wheel drive especially. But yeah, was, I was torn because I was like, oh, it's just going to lower the rear of the car, which will make it more understeery. And then in my mind, you know, the way centripetal force works and everything, I'm like, oh, that makes, that makes sense why it would make you oversteer. Um, but yeah, and it, so... Yeah, there's, there's weird things like that. And, like, you know, how much camber you run, for instance, right? Like, when you're doing race setup, it's like, you know, camber is something that's, like, widely spread through the field. Like, if you ask somebody, like, hey, how much camber are you running? Sunday Hill will immediately tell you, like, oh, yeah, I'm running three and a half degrees. I'm running four. Or here's why I'm only running four. And stuff only. along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> only running four. 
I think Jim Smith was running four and a half this year, and Matt, I know Matt last year ran four and a half as well. I still want to try five. We'll see how that goes. I need shorter. I need to shave away my outer tie rod so I get more toe adjustment. <laughs> Dear Lord, that's five. Five is so much. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, especially running, and I don't. I mean, I run the tire. I don't know what your tire pressures look like, but yeah, like thirty-ish. Yeah, mine is like twenty-eight hot. So twenty-eight hot. Hot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like you get more tire rollover there too. I think I. I think it's mine's. I'm not too far off. I think I do like twenty-six cold round thirty hot ish something like oh, that. I like twenty-one or twenty-two cold because the because the temperature builds up so fast. But yeah, it's like it's stuff like that, you know. And like, what tire pressure should you be looking for? Because some, you know, even if you have two hundred treadwear compounds, some will operate better at thirty-two versus some that operate better at twenty-eight, like the Falcons. Um. Maybe but, I yeah. should try some of that sometime. Just yeah. lower them down. It's hard to get like an objective measurement sometimes too, because the difference is so minuscule. But like tire rack for some some companies will do like a real controlled test like tire rack or uh, or grassroots motorsport. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what they did for the six sixties and six fifteens. But yeah, for tire pressures. So yeah. Yeah, at least in my experience, I've always felt like the higher tire pressures, like the way that they give up grip when you finally get to the limit is way more dramatic. Yeah, at it's, higher it's pressure. Here. When when I have them, because I also run like 26 and a half, 27 in the rear and like 28 in the front, um, just because I like the front to be a little more understeery and the rear to be a little more gripped up. Um, I, I find the one time that I tried to bump them up to like 30, 32 um, at the suggestion of another ND guy, like the way that it, that was when I went off at New Jersey last year, right before we drove to Connecticut. But I went off in turn two because like when I came up around there and the back end started to go, it was like very sudden. Like the tire doesn't give you that like kind of rolling under and scrubbing no feeling yeah. at the limit. It just like breaks. Like as soon as, as I mean, it, once sense. you exceed that critical slip angle, like your, your traction is basically gone. Yeah. Uh, that's to, how it feels. Yeah. I have to show you, there's another video too. That's made by Chassis Sim on YouTube, but I got another really low view channel, but they, they have a chassis simulation and they show like some tire modeling they did and like how, how the wheel spring rate, like if that makes sense, like the, the spring rate of the sidewall of the tire, how that changes with tire pressure and cause it, and YouTube. Uh, is went, it like exponential? Uh, it's not exponential. It's more, it's more linear from what I saw. But like, but even still, like it, it goes up a really significant amount. So like to your snappiness aspect, it's like the same thing if you put like a really stiff suspension on your car, right? It's like it's either sure, like yeah. a go kart. Like go karts are like on or off grip. Yeah. So yeah, if you increase the spring rate of that sidewall, it's a similar effect. Ross, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Rossum sauce on Instagram or Rossum sauce on YouTube. Uh, For yeah. great videos of Honda Fit content being fully sent yep and if you have any questions or whatever uh direct message inbox is always open so i answer questions all the time when i'm on the train to shoot them to me and i will answer them in great detail probably more than you actually need but that's okay (laughs) info dumps are fun oh yeah uh as always i am at i am understeer uh my project car is at marta sw20 on instagram jordan uh, I'm the Daily Downshift on Instagram, YouTube, uh, thedailydownshift.blogspot.com for more in-depth write-up type things for Corolla build stuff. Um, Beerandbackfire.com has links to pretty much all that stuff uh, for me, Steve, Corey. I think Pierce is on there too. Um, but yeah, that's all we got. Good one. Thanks, cool. Ross. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. This was yeah, great. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good night, everybody.